Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. Our first lesson this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, a prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson for the day is from 2 Samuel 11, starting in verse 26 and going through 12, 13. Uh, this is the conclusion to the David and Bathsheba incident. Uh, all summer we have been traveling with David and watching him rise from a shepherd boy to king. Um, and now uh, David has taken a turn for the worst due to his own poor judgment. And so last week we talked about the incident itself. Today we talk about the repercussions of his actions. 2 Samuel eleven twenty six 26 through 12, 13. Listen for the word of the Lord. When the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, that's Bathsheba, she made lamentation for him. When the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He had brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to it used to eat of his meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled. Against the man, he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, this man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. 
Thus says the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and had taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, for you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife." Thus says the Lord, I will raise up trouble against you from within your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this very son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan then said to David, now the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child that is born to you shall die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I think in general, we love a good heist movie. A good movie where there's a good-looking and fun group of people who come to steal something from someone or a group of people that generally deserve it. Movies like the remake of The Italian Job with Mark Wahlberg, Charlize Theron. Charlize, by the way, stop calling. I'm happily married. She's crazy. Persistent. Edward Norton as the bad guy. If you remember, they stole all these gold bars from Venice, Italy with a speedboat. And then Edward Norton turns on him, takes the gold, and the rest of the movie is about them trying to get back to reclaim the gold that they rightfully stole. And we love them. They're the heroes. We're cheering for them. Ocean's Eleven, great cast. George Clooney, Brad Pitt. Matt Damon, Julia Roberts, Bernie Mac, so many more, all get together to steal several, uh, to rob several casinos in Las Vegas. Because Andy Garcia, the bad guy, we don't like him, he's a jerk, and he's now with Julia Roberts, who used to be George Clooney's wife, so that just makes it worse. So that makes it okay and they pull the great heist. How are they gonna do it? How's it all gonna work? It's so complicated. We love that kind of stuff. And if you've been watching this past week, a real life heist in Sweden, some of the monarchy's crown jewels were literally stolen. In Strangnas Cathedral, which is west of Stockholm, the capital, Two crowns and a gold orb with a crucifix were stolen. The cathedral had been around since the 1100s, those crown jewels since the 1600s. And the police think it was a group of people, a guy eating his lunch who was a witness, was eating his lunch and saw them run 
from the cathedral. They jumped into speedboat and took off, just like the Italian job. Haven't been found as of yet. We are waiting to see what will come there. May yet make a good movie. But today, and in those movies, you usually don't mind that they're stealing what they're stealing. That's a part of the story. In our story today, David is the thief, and poor Uriah and Bathsheba are the victims of his theft. Now, to put Bathsheba on that kind of level of property is wrong. She is completely objectified in this story as a beautiful woman with no say, with no choice, with no recourse. She is, reacts and responds at the whim of those men in her life. The verb that stands out to me as I have studied, as we have walked last week in this one, is the verb take. David saw her on the roof. She was bathing, which was proper for her time. I do not believe she was trying to seduce him. He was in abuse of his own power, sent messengers over there. Who is that? It's Bathsheba. Then he sent them to bring her to his palace, and he took her. Consensual, don't know. But we know you could not refuse the king. That could mean certain death. So David steals possibly Bathsheba's heart and soul, as she had no choice, but certainly from Uriah, his wife. David had many wives, had many concubines, but he wanted the one thing he didn't have yet. And he did steal, and more than in the sense of property, but we know he had to take actions to cover his mistakes by killing her husband Uriah, a warrior, one of his elite warriors, sent him up to the front, told everybody to pull away from him so he'd be killed. He was a good soldier, dead. So after that event, that's where we ended last week, David seems to think that he's gotten away with it. He's taking care of Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband. He's gone. After the proper mourning time, Bathsheba comes and becomes, Bathsheba comes to his palace and becomes his wife. Their son is born. And that's where we pick up the story. Now, at the end of last week's passage, it says very clearly, what David did displeased the Lord. Don't forget, this is David who had done everything right. We are cheering and walking with David all summer. From him being a shepherd boy and with God's help fighting those tigers, not tigers, lions and bears. Then big old ugly Goliath. Who will challenge me? I will. It's me, little David runs toward Goliath and takes him out with God's help. 
And David stops and gives God thanks all along the way. David is doing it right. He is anointed by God through Samuel, but not yet king. His interaction with Saul, who was the king, Saul's decline and David's rise kind of met and continued that way. Saul went kind of mad, some people think. He tried to have David killed several times, but with God's help, David was able to get away. The relationship with Jonathan, Saul's son, a gift, personal and from a military perspective, pledging each other to one another. Then finally, David on his best day, after military victory, comes into Jerusalem, having united now the tribes, the cities, brings the ark and dances before the Lord joyfully with all that he is, with all that he has. And that was the peak, that was the top. David setting up his theological connection with God as God was with him all the way, offering sacrifices to continue to give God the glory, and God setting David up with his monarchy as king. And then not too long after that, David steps in it here. So you have David, the king. You have Nathan, the prophet, who we don't know much about. He came in last week. And you have God in this story with Bathsheba. So here's what I want us to learn in this situation. First, as we walk through the story, David does wrong. It is clear. There's no way around the fact that David makes poor decisions that could have stopped several places in the events as they unfolded. We talked last week about temptation. How do we fight some of that? Well, we know when we're heading down a road that's a little scary, that may lead us to trouble, that's when we need to stop, cut it off, step away from it. David could have seen Bathsheba and said, oh, oh boy, sorry about that, gone back into his palace. Once David found out who Bathsheba was, the wife of one of his elite soldiers, the daughter of Eliam, another one of his soldiers, and the granddaughter of his chief advisor, David could have said, oh no, I, I, that's, that's, that's not right. And I, and I know that family, I can't do this to them. But he didn't. He was overwhelmed by his lust, by his passion, and he had to have what he had to have. The heart wants what it wants. Well, that's not okay all the time. Not much of the time. So Nathan comes and, well, we'll get to Nathan in a minute. What are we to learn from David? Well, he messed up. There's no way around it. And amazing that this was kept in the biblical record. Remember in that day, in the Middle East and still many places around the world, kings were almost seen as gods themselves. Some places still are. They would not have wanted to see their king exposed in this way. And yet 
God makes a point of including this in the biblical record to make sure that we know who's great, powerful, and almighty. Well, David's king, but it is God who has worked through him all the way to get him there. David forgets that, is overcome by this passion of the moment, and steps away from God, turns away from God. As if God is saying and reinforcing Psalm 146, you don't put your faith in mortals, put your faith in God. And that is true, and we know that. People will let us down no matter how wonderful and heroic they are. Sooner or later, people will let us down. Not that we don't celebrate those who are great leaders, those who are great heroes, those who inspire us and teach us, but we all make mistakes. David did a big one here. Had a man killed so he could be with his wife, whom he made pregnant and then had to double cover. This wasn't just a one-day event. This happened over time, and he continued to make poor decisions to try to cover himself in these events. What can we learn from David? Well, we're all kind of David. Well, wait a minute, preacher. I've never had anybody killed so I can be with their spouse. Right? But we have all made poor decisions. Some of us may have made awful choices to that degree, but we're all sinners and we know that. David is just a human being. He's not God. He's not Jesus. He's not the Holy Spirit. And while he walked closely with them, he ascended. And from the point where he stepped away and said, I don't care about nothing but what's on my mind, I'm getting this done no matter what it costs me. And it costs him the rest of his life and peace in his household. We're just like that. Every Sunday, we say our confession because we know that we have made mistakes. May not be on that same level, but it is profound and it is important. If you look back, look back in your bulletin, if you would, to the prayer of confession. If you see the little um, the line underneath it, this was based on Psalm 51 that David wrote, we think, in response to the Bathsheba and Uriah incident. In direct response, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart. Put a new and right spirit within me. So as we always know and need to remind ourselves, even our biblical heroes are capable of tremendous deceit, despair, and terror at the same time that they are filled with God's spirit and joy and faith and love. We are the same. I believe we are capable, any of us at any time, depending on our circumstances, would they be bad enough? I believe we would and are capable of committing horrible acts of crime and violence. We justify to ourselves if we are pushed to awful places long enough, 
we can get ourselves to a horrible place. And yet we are also capable of faith and love and compassion and joy and our walk with Christ. That is our human nature. David points it out for us. Did God continue to use him? Absolutely. Let's look at Nathan. Nathan the prophet. Prophets had hard jobs. Nathan's job here was to speak truth to power. Speak truth to power. That phrase has become kind of commonplace. Did a little research on it. Back through the Quakers, we think, either in the 18th century or 1955, there was a book called Speaking Truth to Power, uh, Alternatives to Violence. There was a gentleman in 1942 who was then a civil rights leader, Bayard Rustin, who wrote in some of his notes, the purpose of religion is to speak truth to power. It means we're taking a stand. It means we're standing up against forces that seem to have the edge and are overwhelmingly against us as far as the power goes. Prophets really did the same thing, although who were they ultimately working for? Yeah, God. They had a bigger boss than the kings that they served. But often, speaking God's word to these kings would get them imprisoned or killed because the kings didn't always like what they had to say. And if they said, God doesn't like what you're doing, just try to get rid of that. And that happened fairly regularly. So here, Nathan is taking a stand and there are a couple ways that we stand up to power. You can hit power over the head with a two by four so they have to take notice. And that has its positives and negatives. But Nathan here takes a separate tack. He tells a story so that David can, condemns and judges himself without realizing it. There are two men, one is rich, one is poor. Rich man has plenty of lambs and sheep. Poor man just has one. That's Uriah and Bathsheba. David is the rich man. And then somebody comes to town. The rich man wants to have a big feast, slaughter the lamb, slaughter the sheep. But he says, I don't want to touch all of mine. When I can steal this poor guy's favorite, special, loving sheep. And he does, as David took Bathsheba. And David gets all irate and says, oh, that person has worked against the Lord and that person should die. Which must have been great for Nathan. He's like, oh, oh, it is coming. It is coming. You are right on, buddy. And he says, you are the man. Not in a good way. Or for us, you are the one. You are that one who took that little ewe lamb that was so prized in possession of this poor man who didn't have much and David realizes what he had done if he hadn't before realized how many laws he had broken that God was displeased with him, and he repented immediately. 
repented immediately. How many of us, when caught, when pushed somewhere that may indicate that maybe we're not doing our job well, or maybe we did something we weren't supposed to do at home, maybe we got caught not doing something else as a group we're a part of, or even church, we'll stand up and say, you know what, I, I messed this up and I'm sorry. I can do better and I will do better. Because that's what David does. Much of the time, we are, our human nature wants us to cover. Cover, 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 cover. We can't let anybody know we've made a mistake. We can't let anybody know we're not perfect and we have challenges and vulnerabilities. Depending on our environment, we don't feel like we can show that. David could have said, it was her fault. She was naked on the roof. David could have said, I am the king. You put me here, God. It is my then justi justified right to do what I want as king. He could have come up with a list of things, which I believe we often do in small and large ways so that others don't know we've made mistakes. Shh. Got to cover, got to cover. Can't be real, can't be a human being. But David throws out what becomes Psalm 51 that we've looked at several times and says, I've transgressed against you, Lord. Don't forget your steadfast love and abundant mercy, but I've sinned against you. You are displeased with me and I am sorry. And repents immediately. We're not told again that this ever happens in David's future. In our understanding of confession and repentance, we ask every Sunday for forgiveness. But it's the repentance that takes the harder and ongoing work. Easier to ask for forgiveness about things than it is to change what you're asking forgiveness for. But that's what repentance is all about, turning back to God, those things we know in our lives that separate us from God, Repentance is taking that extra step, and that's what David did and shows us. And what does God do? God could have said, I don't care what you said. Look at what you did to Uriah. Look at what you did to Bathsheba. Nathan says, the Lord forgives you. You will not die. You're going to pay the price, and your house your monarchy, the sword will never leave. There will be infighting. There will be tension between siblings, which there is in a variety of awful ways. And David never lived in a peaceful house, uh, by house larger family from that day on, although he was forgiven and given a new start. What did that allow them to do? Well, Bathsheba... One of the penalties was that that child that Bathsheba was pregnant with died. God said, this is a part of your penalty phase. That child will die. The sword will never leave your house, meaning there'll be conflict. But faith continues. The monarchy continues. And who's the next son that rises that we hold in general positive esteem? Who's that? Solomon, right. Solomon then comes from David and Bathsheba 
And Solomon is kind of made clean through David's repentance, as is Bathsheba and the whole incident. Not forgiven. David will continue to pay for what he did, but God shows that he is still loved. It is grace before Christ. God could have wiped him out, could have left him like he did Saul and watch him deteriorate as Saul did, but he didn't. God says, because you came to me, because you admit what you have done and you are standing up, or on your knees rather, to take that blame, to admit your transgressions, I will forgive you. Again, not forget, not forgotten, still pays the price through his family and generations. But through his repentance, he's able to find new direction and new life. So through David, we learn that we all make mistakes. No matter how good and faithful we are, we all step and make trouble at one time or another. Nathan's job speaks truth to power. He uses a clever way through the story, but we are called as well to stand up to those forces that oppress people, that don't allow people to have full access to resources, to our American journey as we have experienced it. Speaking truth to power is at the core of what Jesus did in his time and what we should as well. And then finally, it's God. God forgives through that repentance, gives him a new and clean start. John Steinbeck wrote a book called The Wayward Bus. 1947 was a follow-up to the Grapes of Wrath. And most of it was set on a bus with different strangers from different non-connected parts of life. A lot of internal monologue in their heads that you see. They're not speaking, but we go kind of each character to hear where they are, what's going on in their mind. Well, the bus hits a ditch and they're kind of trapped in the middle of nowhere, kind of a desert California town, a uh, place, not town. So they all get out of the bus and they find a cave for which to seek shelter. And very subtly, Steinbeck calls attention to us, the reader, that as they enter the cave, written above is the word repent. And most of these people are kind of a mess in where they are in their lives. They're lost in a variety of ways, spiritually one of them. And that's all Steinbeck does. None of the characters see the word or call attention to it. Just we, the reader, are informed. As they go into this cave, this cave seeking refuge, the word repent is there, and none of them see it. And the reminder is the same for us, that repentance is there when we choose to seek new life in Christ. We can stop asking forgiveness for the same things over and over again when we, a, a, when we attack those issues 
that continue to separate us from God and from one another. That repentance is there and we can avoid it just like those people did from the bus and in the cave. Or like David, we can prove that we have the courage to stand and say, I've kind of messed this up, Lord, I need your help, please forgive me. And through Christ, new direction and forgiveness is granted. So as we move forward today, students to a new year, seek this new direction. You can change from those ways that you know make your life difficult for yourself and for others. For all of us that move forward today, let us look at our lives and to see what is the most, kind of some of the big pieces that we need to focus on and repent from. None of us is perfect, we're gonna continue to make mistakes. But our job in this journey is to allow God to transform us as we seek to walk closer and more faithful, that refiner's fire. Target that which needs to be repented from and do it. Have the faith, you don't walk alone. We can do this together. And together cry out to God to give us a clean heart and restore a new and right spirit within us. Hallelujah, amen.